0: chapter seven of from bangkok to bombay siam french indochina burma hindustan by frank g carpenter this recording is in the public domain recording by betty b the golden pagoda suppose you join me this morning for a visit to the shwedagon one of the most magnificent buddhist pagodas on earth to one-tenth of mankind this shrine has a special sanctity for it contains actual relics not only of the great buddha but of the three buddhas who preceded him it is the mecca of the followers of the great enlightened one in this part of asia the sun of rangoon is deadly at midday so we rise with the crows whose cawing begins before dawn the light is just coming through the palm trees as we sit down in the hotel bedrooms to our breakfast of tea toast and jam breakfast finished we get into a ghari and a black turban indian with a rat-like pony drives us through the wide streets of rangoon we pass half-naked coolies on their way to work jostle the bare-legged men with buckets who are sprinkling the roads turn out for heavily loaded carts hauled by humped bullocks pass the fine bungalows of the better-class residents and draw up at the foot of pagoda hill rising higher than st paul's cathedral in london the Shwedagon dominates the whole city with the terraced mound upon which it stands the structure is as tall as the washington monument as we look up we are dazzled by the blaze of gold with which its sides are literally covered it is only seven o'clock but the worshippers are out in full force and the monks are on the streets with their begging bowls we see hundreds of people on their way to the shrine and at the entrance find a horde of peddlers with flowers incense and candles for the devout There is no thoroughfare on earth more remarkable than the approach to the Shwedagon. Going to the south entrance and passing between two gigantic monsters with the heads of lions and the bodies of griffins, we start to climb up to the platform on which the pagoda is built. The long flight of stairs leading to the shrine is covered by a series of wonderfully carved teak roofs supported on pillars of wood and masonry through the years these steps have been polished by the bare feet of the millions who have gone up to pray no buddhist would dream of ascending such a holy place in his sandals and now foreigners as well are compelled to take off their shoes if they wish to go up as we proceed shoes in hand we hear the birds sing thousands of them have made nests in the carvings and they fly back and forth through the arcades and all about the pagoda according to the tenets of the buddhist religion it is a sin to kill any living thing and the birds seem to know they are in the house of their friends we pass booths all the way up pretty burmese girls with plugs of gold silver or glass in the lobes of their ears sit cross-legged on mats selling offerings for buddha the candles are of all sizes from tapers as thin as a baby's finger to great cylinders of wax as tall as the girls and as thick as their waists i buy a bunch of the tapers and give them to one of the worshippers she smiles with delight at the thought of how much merit she will gain by burning them at the shrine now come out on the platform and look up at the pagoda it is a gilded mountain ending in a spire nearly four hundred feet high the stone platform where we are standing would make a half dozen city blocks and the monument itself is a quarter of a mile in circumference that shining umbrella which you see on the spire looks small from this point it is big enough to cover a good-sized house and is studded with jewels listen to the golden bells around its rim tinkling in the breeze more than a hundred of the fifteen hundred bells hung about the umbrella are of solid gold and the rest are of silver on the staff above is a golden vein studded with several thousand emeralds rubies and diamonds and the whole ends in a bud of diamonds thus away off up there out of sight in the blue is a king's ransom of splendid jewels the gorgeous umbrella which cost more than a quarter of a million dollars was presented to the pagoda by a burmese king min don min and its installation at rangoon was almost a political incident in burma placing one of these umbrellas on the top of a great pagoda has always been an expression of sovereignty therefore min don min was most anxious that his representatives be allowed to put his gift on the summit of the golden pagoda but the british would not permit it and instead supervise the job themselves the golden pagoda was erected with free-will offerings from the followers of buddha when the notice went out that it was to be built money and jewels flowed in from every part of burma and all the work was done by volunteer labor. Even now the pagoda is kept up by the gifts of the people, and it has been overlaid with gold leaf again and again. One of the last of the native kings once made a vow that he would give his weight in gold to the Shwedigan. After he had taken a bath and scrubbed off as many pounds as he could, he jumped on one side of the scales and piled up gold on the other his idea cost him just forty five thousand dollars worth of the precious metal with the money more gold leaf was bought and the upper part of the structure received a fresh coat and soon shone like a new five-dollar gold piece the pagoda has no interior being a solid mass of brick raised over a relic chamber the lower part is much like a beehive the whole is terraced around as it goes upward growing smaller and smaller until it ends in a spire. The structure is covered with gold leaf, which has to be renewed relatively often. Between renewals, however, bits of gold leaf are being constantly furnished by worshippers, who buy pieces perhaps two by four inches in size, and go up with the priest to see their offerings attached to the surface of the pagoda. Thus a man can be sure that he gets the merit he has paid for, and that his gift is not embezzled. The relics of Buddha beneath the pagoda include the hairs that he gave to the two brothers who brought them here, 585 years before the birth of Christ, so the legend goes. Two Burmese merchants, dealing in rice, came upon Buddha meditating under the trees at Gaya. Satisfied of their piety, the sage pulled four hairs from his head and told the brothers to bury them on a certain hill upon which his three predecessors had left respectively a staff a water-filter and a rope they would know the place by a felled wood-oil tree lying in a peculiar manner after much search the burmans found the spot and there buried the relics in a golden casket over which was built the nucleus of the golden pagoda Today, the buddhists of burma considered an almost sure passport to heaven erect a small pagoda about the base of the great Shwedagon, and now there are hundreds of little temples most exquisitely carved and often gilded on all sides of the great monument these are on the average i should say something like thirty feet high and are topped by gilded spires they are much like chapels often of more than life size some of these statues are of gold others are of silver and not a few are of alabaster or marble around the edges of the platform leaving a space several hundred feet wide between them and the shwedagon and its clustering shrines are other temples their spires are from 10 to 50 feet high and are of teak so finely carved that it looks like black lace some of these temples are decorated with mosaics of colored glass set in plaster or in a network of golden wires when the sun shines on them they reflect the splendors of the peacock's tail lying before the buddhas within are offerings of flowers fruit and rice while gifts of brocades and silks have been placed on their laps at one corner of the platform is a great bell weighing 42 tons it is so thick that the yellow-gowned monk who acts as my guide can just touch the inside of the rim with his fingers when the outside rests in the crook of his elbow he strikes it with a deer horn and the sound booms out on the air this bell was presented to buddha by a native king nearly a century ago when the british occupied the country they decided to carry it off to calcutta as a trophy they got it as far as the irrawaddy but in attempting to load it on a vessel let it fall into the stream and their engineers could not raise it some burmans came up and asked if they might have the bell if they could get it out of the river the british granted their request having no idea that they could succeed but the natives lashed the bell to a system of pontoons put down at low water so that when the tide rose it floated the pontoons and lifted up the bell it was towed to the bank where the receding tide left it stranded then logs were put under it ropes were attached and with thousands of burmans pulling together It was tugged back to its place on Pagoda Hill. Let us stroll around the pagoda platform and have a look at the people at prayers. There are scores of men, women, and children squatting on the bare bricks. Their hands are folded, and they look up at the spire as they pray. They do not worship the spire or the images, but come to this holy place to renew their vows, to think upon Buddha, and to repent of their sins. Inside the shrines are many other worshipers squatting or kneeling at their devotions. A man and woman perhaps pray that in the next life they may live again as husband and wife, or perhaps they beg that they may have their next existence as well-to-do people. Some desire to reach such spiritual heights as to become Buddhists, or at least Bodhisattvas, men scarcely less holy than the great sage himself. About the shrines are bells, hung on stout cross beams beside them are deer antlers or wooden stakes with which the worshipper his devotions ended strikes the metal to call attention to what he has done see this woman squatting here at my right her pink silk gown is wrapped tightly about her body and her bare feet stick out behind she sways back and forth counting her beads as she chants her prayers on the other side of us are three buddhist nuns wrapped in their sheets of plain yellow cotton their heads are shaved close they hold out cloths upon which people throw offerings as they pass each nun has a rosary about her neck and tells her beads as she prays they have made a pilgrimage to the shwedagon from one of the convents in burma we see many monks worshipping about the pagoda here comes one now he must be sixty years old and his brown face is withered His neck is shrunken, and his thin legs seem to totter. He is clad in only two strips of bright yellow cotton, his right shoulder and arm being bare. In his left hand is a pair of old sandals, the sweaty outlines of his feet marked on the leather, and in his right he carries a small bunch of roses. He kneels on the bricks with the tropical sun beating down upon his shaven head and holds up the flowers as he prays. After a time he goes to a chapel and lays them on the knees of the great golden Buddha. But what is this coming around the corner from the other side of the great spire? It is a dark-skinned man, alternately getting up and falling down. He is a Buddhist from northern India, dressed in turban and waistcloth. Prostrating himself on the bricks, he stretches out his bare arms as far as he can reach, straining every muscle, from the ends of his toes to the tips of his fingers. Marking the limit of his reach with a candle, he gets up and repeats the process until he has made the whole circuit of the pagoda by measuring his length on the ground. At the end of his journey, he lies praying for three or four minutes and then rises with a beatific look upon his face, evidently believing that he has done something worthwhile. I have heard that one fanatic came in this fashion all the way from peking in all their observances strange as they may seem to us the people are much in earnest i am told that the burman is naturally religious he is charitable too and now and then spends his surplus in erecting rest houses or places along the road where travelers can get a cool drink of water the whole land is spotted with pagodas they are to be found in every town and village and on almost every hill and the country has more religious monuments, perhaps, than any other of its size in the world. It is an act of great merit to build a monastery, and there are many old men in Burma who are proud of the title of Kiyong Taga, or Builder of a Monastery. Every village has its monastery, and every monastery conducts a school for teaching boys reading, writing, and arithmetic. The pupils also commit to memory prayers and hymns to Lord Buddha, They are supposed to pray night and morning. One of their prayers is, How great a favor has the Lord Buddha bestowed upon me in showing me his law, by keeping which I may escape hell and secure salvation. The personnel of the monastery is constantly changing. Men come in and go out. Most of the boys put on the yellow robe of the priesthood for a few months only, and lay it aside in order to marry. Those who remain monks are bound by the strictest rules against having any relations with women. They are not allowed to sleep under the same roof with a nun, must not travel in a cart or boat, having a woman as passenger, and must never touch a member of the opposite sex. One of the Buddhist books says that a man should not even offer his hand to his mother to help her out of a ditch. He may hold forth a stick, but if she grasps it, he must imagine he is pulling at a log of wood youths are admitted to the monasteries on probation and first act as servants or chilas for the monks having about the same duties as kim had with the old abbot in kipling's novel once admitted the boys are taught the principles of the buddhist faith and are supposed to devote themselves to holy living thinking and doing the monks are awakened at daybreak by a wooden bell and are supposed to be at their prayers by five thirty. After that, each takes up his household tasks about the establishment. He may sweep the floors of the temple or water the garden or do odd jobs of various kinds. Later, the monks assemble and start out to beg. Headed by their leader, they walk in company through the main streets of the town. They do not cry out for alms or call at the houses, but merely walk along single file in the middle of the street, their eyes fixed on the ground. Each man holds his bowl out in front of him, and the people come forth and drop in their offerings. As in Bangkok, the monks accept the food in silence, believing that they confer a favor in allowing others to give. The begging procession lasts for an hour or so. When it is over, the monks go back to the monastery, where they lay a part of their gifts before the statues of Buddha and spread the rest out for breakfast i hear it whispered however that most of the monasteries serve a hot breakfast as well there is another meal about noon and a dinner toward evening the inmates of the monasteries i have visited looked fat and healthy and none appeared any the worse for the fasting and discipline of his religious life education in burma is not left entirely to the buddhist monks there are government schools of all kinds from kindergartens to colleges and the University of Burma. In the whole province, there are more than 8,000 so-called public schools or institutions having a course of study conforming with the standards prescribed by the Department of Public Instruction and the university. Some of these are government schools, some are monastic schools, and some are those established by the Christian missionaries. In all, more than a half million pupils are enrolled in the public and private schools of burma so far as the buddhists are concerned the missionaries make comparatively few conversions but besides the followers of the teachings of gautama there are in burma many animists or worshippers of nature spirits indeed devil worship has to some extent permeated the pure buddhist faith among the animists are the kirins who live along the eastern side of burma And inhabit a considerable part of the irrawaddy delta more than a hundred thousand of them are christians many observers familiar with missions in asia and africa say that all things considered american missionaries have made more progress in burma than anywhere else in the world about the first christian work done in burma was that of the american baptists who sent adoniram judson here in 1813 Judson made the first Burmese dictionary and grammar and translated the Bible into the vernacular. He remained here when all the foreigners fled at the time of the first troubles with England, and later, during the British-Burmese war, was thrown into prison and almost starved. The story of his sufferings and achievements is one of the most affecting in missionary history. Since then, the Baptist mission here has steadily grown, that branch of american protestantism seems to have chosen burma as its special field and it has a large number of missionaries many native churches and thousands of communicants it has schools in most of the important towns and a college at rangoon the american baptist mission press is one of the largest and most flourishing of its kind it prints bibles tracts religious newspapers and many educational works The American Methodists established a mission here about fifty years ago. They are doing considerable work in lower Burma and maintain numerous schools. End of chapter seven.